You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold-out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guests. Welcome to season one. Sorry for the interruption, but this podcast is brought to you by Footy International. Footy International is a forward-thinking, sustainable apparel company based in Austin, Texas, that creates socks geared for worldwide adventures. The co-founders engineered these socks from plastic bottles to optimize comfort, durability, and sustainability, all with an entirely USA-made supply chain. With specifically added technology like antimicrobial treatment and rib sole knitting, you can wear these everywhere you explore every day. And socks are just a start for this company. Keep an eye out for their new product releases coming soon. Save the planet and your feet today by using code UPTOTHEMIC10 for 10% off site-wide at footyinternational.com. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, everybody. My next guest are the two men at the helm of Hotel Tango Distillery. From combat tours overseas to technical supply chain, sales, and legal backgrounds, these two have collective experiences that allow them to successfully run the nation's first combat-disabled veteran-owned distillery. Please welcome Hotel Tango President Nick Laddig and founder and CEO Travis Barnes. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It was really cool when I was reaching out to try and get this interview set up. Um, I had a mutual friend that helped get it all organized, and I'm really glad that we were able to kind of make the connection there because you guys are one of the people that I think will speak to what this podcast is for, and that is to share stories of people that have done something remarkable or done something successful in their lives. That way other people can be inspired to do the same. But before we get too deep into what all you guys have done in, uh, you know, with Hotel Tango, Let's just take a step back, and would you give our listeners who might not know a brief explanation of Hotel Tango Distillery before we get into the rest of the podcast? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you kind of the background. I'm Travis Barnes, CEO. Uh, so a little bit about my background. Uh, shortly after the events of 9-11, uh, I dropped out of college and enlisted in the Marine Corps, and then I ended up doing three tours with First Recon. Uh, I did the initial push into Iraq in 2003, and then two follow-on tours in Fallujah and Ramadi. Uh, really cut my teeth, uh, you know, the tip of the spear. Uh, when people ask me what I did over there, in a very, I try to be uh, respectful about it, but essentially we were gunfighters. I mean, that was where I spent my three tours doing was going and. Uh, tracking down bad guys and getting rid of them or sending them off to, to jail. When I got back home, uh, I, I went back to college uh, and I ended up getting into law school and that's where I met my wife and uh, we were both pilots. So we would use the phonetic alphabet frequently uh, both while we were flying and back on the ground. And uh, it just kind of turned into a nickname for each of us. And her name is Hillary. So hotel and I'm Travis Tango. And uh, that's really the the birth, I would say, of the name of the company. 
Well, that's pretty awesome that I, uh, I didn't realize that pilots were so well-versed. I like, I'm also very new to the whole realm, but I, uh, I didn't realize that pilots were so, I guess, keen to the phonetic alphabet, like the military was. And so it's a cool little connection you guys made there. It's definitely made for a catchy slogan and a tagline whenever you're talking about, you know, the whole story behind Hotel Tango. But uh, as far as you, Nick, maybe give a little bit of background about how, what your experiences are, and then also how you and Travis came to start working together. Sure. Um, So uh, knowing Travis for most of my whole life, I was uh, a friend uh, of his when he did go overseas and did those tours he spoke about. And then when he came back and him and Hill, uh, you know, learned uh, about the distilling opportunity that Indiana had provided and we're getting ready to open the business and uh, just touching a little bit more on the name you mentioned uh, at the time I remember Travis being like yeah I'm gonna open a distillery you should go in on it with me and I was like oh man I'm good I'm up here in Fort Wayne doing my thing and uh, but good luck and then several I don't know weeks or months had passed and he sends me an email with the business plan and the name and I remember calling him being like why the hell is it called Hotel Tango like what does that mean he explained it to me and I was like, oh, man, you guys nailed it. Like, what a cool brand. Now I wish I would have went in on it, with you, you know, so. Um, so it was definitely uh, cool. But I, as far as my background, uh, I stayed in college when he dropped out, finished. I was kind of a typical uh, listless college kid. I knew I wanted to get a degree and I eventually wanted to go on and get into business and make a bunch of money and have fun and do all this stuff. But I didn't really know how necessarily. So uh, I got spit back out into the the beverage industry and was in the restaurant world and then ended up at a beer distributor. Um, so that's where I kind of cut my teeth on the adult beverage industry and learned that there was a lot more behind the scenes than just alcohol showing up at retail locations. So uh, I did that for about a decade uh, while Travis and Hillary got Hotel Tango started. And then uh, once distribution started for Hotel Tango came over here to, uh, I guess, start and ultimately grow our distribution arm of the business. And that's been six and a half, six years ago, maybe uh, to where we are now. Well, what was the big draw to the location that you guys are currently in and where you started out in? Because I didn't know if that was, you know, typically when I hear like Kentucky bourbon and, you know, something along those lines, what was the draw to start your business in y'all's location? Well, my wife uh, (laughs) would be the main reason. Uh, (laughs) She's from Indianapolis. Uh, we started this the company while we were still in our last year of law school. And uh, it was really taking advantage of the state laws uh, that were going into effect in 2013. Uh, so they were they changed the law to essentially open up craft distilling for the first time since Prohibition. So it had been 70 years since Indiana and Indianapolis had been allowed to produce spirits uh, on site and then sell them to consumers all in the same location. Uh, so we were one of, I think, four in the state that were able to jump on that license early enough in the beginning and then kind of have a little bit of runway to get out in front of everybody else, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, well, I would add, sorry, that the the location kind of twofold, specifically in Indianapolis, they found a really cool uh, neighborhood that's just on the southeast side of Indy that was on the come up. And then Hotel Tango, the building they found and renovated um, you know, by hand, in essence, at that point, that became the distillery uh, was a, a big catalyst for the, the comeback of this Fletcher Place, Fountain Square uh, part of the city. Uh, but then the other thing is, 
you know, Indy is really only 90 miles north of Bourbon County, Kentucky. It's about an hour and a half. Well, sorry, two hours down the street uh, to Louisville area. So, you know, we're not really far off from that perfect limestone water that they always, you know, you hear about day in and day out from Kentucky. Um, so we like to say that we let Kentucky have the water that Indiana doesn't want to use for bourbon. Um, but really we were just trying to, uh, you know, establish Indiana as, uh, a high quality distilling environment as well, that it's not just South of the Ohio river. I got you. Okay. Well, you just taught me something for sure. Cause I didn't even realize that. And I'm also pretty bad at, uh, pretty bad with directions, but I did know that Indy was pretty close to Kentucky. So it makes a little more sense now, but as far as the actual distilling process and the far of uh, the part of, you know, making all the spirits and all the liquor that you do, you know, end up making, where was the background for that? Like how, one, how did you learn how to do it if you didn't already know, or was there, you know, kind of something in y'all's past that brought you to already have some sort of background in, you know, the distilling process, making spirits, the whole liquor and alcohol industry. I know you said you worked for um, a beer distributor for a while, but aside from that, the creation process of it, where did that come from? I mean, Travis liked to get drunk a lot, but I'll let him speak <laughs> to how you yeah, started you're, distilling. You're not the cops, are you? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It's a so we, I, to share. I, I literally, um, while, while in school, uh, built my own still uh, in the backyard and was making it on a turkey fryer and a few garden hoses that I hooked up uh, in the back of my yard and my in-laws backyard and started producing. Uh, and at first it was just moonshine and then we made a couple of bourbon mashes and put them away in barrels. And then, uh, you know, a few months later we, we pulled it out and I was giving it away and folks were like, this is, this is pretty good. You should do this legally. Mm-hmm. So legally. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I'm, I'm convinced Travis, uh, cause he had spent four and a half damn near five years on alert, like full schedule all the time that he got back. And he's like, man, this civilian life is bored because all of a sudden he was in law school and he was a pilot and he was distilling. And I feel like there's, you know, a few other random hobbies where I'm like, how do you find time to do all this? So, uh, that's at least what I tell people. I don't know if there's any truth to it, but. No, I think there was that. And I think that it was, I'm a little bit ADD. So I just always needed to have something as the next uh, project or next kind of step to, you know, personal, I guess, gratification. No, there's a, there's a name for that. I'm trying to remember it. I think they call it the Renaissance man. You're, you're good at a lot of things across the board. You know, you're a, a Swiss pocket knife or a Swiss army knife. And, uh, you know, Patience speaking one of them, I guess <laughs> I need to get that knife in my, Oh, well, it seems like y'all know quite a lot or, you know, quite a lot of different things as far as running a business. That's not something you can typically just jump into feet first and not know anything about. Obviously you had a, you know, well-educated background with, you know, Nick actually completing college initially, and then you going back to law school and everything. And obviously your time in the military taught you a lot. Maybe what are some lessons that you learned in the military, Travis, that have helped you successfully run a business, maybe translated over to, you know, overcoming whatever hardships you have in the business, maybe something that translates. Um, I actually think that the, you know, the, the internal motivation part is, is a big key to it. But I would also say that the military almost uh, in a way set me back because I was so reliant on the things that I did learn in the military. And a lot of things you learn there are through osmosis, right? You just kind of follow the crowd and you'll end up at the chow hall, right? Or, 
you the culture is already there and you just become a part of it. Whereas here, we had to invent the culture. And I'm going to pimp a book uh, called Traction right now that really helped convert the military, I guess, background into a more civilian style. But the parallels between how you run a platoon and how you run a company within this book and series really, I think, was transformational to the company. And we've been on it for three or four years now. But it truly uh, was a monumental shift for the company when we kind of decided to make the jump from a mom and pop shop to a legit scalable business to, to grow. And without that, um, I think I was just really constantly frustrated that um, people weren't, you know, getting it, getting it, I guess, you know, that, that to me, you know, you work really hard and you, you follow somebody, you see what they're doing and you mimic it and then you make it better. And that just wasn't happening. And part of it was I wasn't articulating what I wanted, what the standards were, how to, you know, I wasn't putting that path out in front of everybody. And uh, the book really helped that translation, I guess. Uh, and then the other part was having great people. I think that was another thing that we both learned along the way of, I think we settled for the not so right people, but that were here and that were filling a role and that, you know, we always, the thought was, oh, if we lose them, then it'll be really hard to grow again. And it was, that was backwards thinking almost, I think. And that's what the book helped, I think, us figure out was they don't get it, want it, and have the capacity, cut them loose and find somebody who does. Well, as far as the people are concerned, I was doing a little bit of background research on you guys, and it says that I need an updated number, basically. It said when y'all first started out, y'all were a small team of two or three people, and then now y'all are it said y'all were over 90 now on the website, but yeah, is it even larger than that now? Or Yeah, so 90 does sound a little misleading. We're not quite that big because that includes every – we have three tasting rooms. Uh, so there's about 36 people around those that are part-time or some of them are out, you know, just a few hours a week. And then we have a team of brand ambassadors around the country, probably 15 of those that just do like samplings and demos and promotional stuff for us that are uh, super part-time. So if you do a full-time equivalent, it's more like 50 FTE people on staff, but yeah, we definitely, we have last count was 91, 92 actual people on payroll. Um, there's really, I don't know, half dozen in production. We got a sales and marketing and events team of 16 or 17 now, probably eight people on like the corporate admin world and then whatever's left, I guess would be tasting them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm going <laughs> to, well, I mean, it, it's, Incredible the growth you've experienced, regardless of whether that number is 90 or 50 or however you want to, you know, whichever light you want to put it in. It's awesome to see the work y'all have done so far. And I can't wait to see, you know, the growth even further. Um, I like following y'all social media profiles just because aside from just a company that, you know, I was trying to get familiar with, I just, I thought the content that y'all are posting, y'all's Instagram profile is just nothing but like the most perfect pictures of whatever spirits you're. Uh, you're coming out with and whatever the new taste is um, that I think it almost draws you in a little more so than it would if it was just trying to pitch how good the whiskey tastes or how good whatever it is the gin tastes the fact that y'all have this brand behind it and you've you know kind of molded all of your social media to push that brand is really cool to see and it's something that I'm trying to work on here with the podcast so I know it takes uh 
takes a whole team to do that, but I'm working on it to see if I can do something similar on my end. But for all those that are listening, I've got a, I pull from different crowds here on these interviews of the people that listen. For those out there that are really business minded and are wanting to know more about the real nitty gritty business aspect of it, walk me through a little bit of the business aspect of one production of the actual spirits and liquor itself to the distribution of it, to how you get it to where it's located, how you choose where, you know, what states it's going to be in, or I guess how you uh, get into certain states, for lack of better words. Well, what's kind of the one end to the other process for you guys? Sure. I can talk about that. So we would call, we have two avenues of business here. One's on-premise, which is our tasting rooms and our events where we, you know, our restaurants, in essence, our cocktail lounges. Um, so I'll skip that for the purpose of your question, because generally people know how those work. Uh, but on the distribution of beverage alcohol, that is a totally different beast and it's different state by state. So in America, uh, we have a unique thing called the three tier system that is mandated by the federal government that came out of prohibition. So we are a supplier or a producer, whatever you want to call it. And then there is a middle tier that's the distributor or the wholesaler network uh, that is required to take ownership of the product on its way ultimately onto the third tier, which is the retailers, uh, which is where people shop and buy the stuff. So whether that's a liquor store or a bar or a restaurant. Uh, so ultimately it gets sold three times on the way to a consumer. So it's a very uh, labor intensive selling process. Um, and then the way we make it and the way it you know, logistically happens is uh, we produce product here in Indianapolis. Uh, we can and many people do uh, buy ready to sell product or have contract supplier partners. But anyways, it ultimately gets produced, bottled and labeled here. Uh, we ship it on to a wholesaler, whether that's in Indianapolis uh, or Texas or to the United States Navy. Um, and then they ultimately ship it on to a retail location. Uh, and each of those tiers, you know, make their profits along the way. Um, and then that would be how it gets to a uh, consumer's hands. And then the way you choose that is state by state. So some states are uh, completely open and you got to find the right partner wholesaler that believes in your brand uh, and that you believe is going to be a good steward of your brand. Uh, and then sometimes those are handshake deals and sometimes those are contractual uh, agreements. Um, and then, uh, in an ideal world, that wholesaler goes on and sells your brand for you. But in reality, uh, it behooves you as a supplier to have your own sales and marketing team to do a lot of the sales and marketing in those specific markets. So we have people out in the street in Texas or in Florida or in Michigan or Ohio that go around and build relationships with retailers and consumers and make sure that we're uh, getting placed in the proper places and promoting because these wholesalers generally have a hundred hotel tangos that they're dealing with at any given time. And some of them are a million times our size when you're talking about Diageo's or Brown Foreman's of the world. Right. I, I, it's, I guess it's revealing when you put it into perspective like that, how, you know, for as much growth as you've already experienced, there's always going to be a bigger fish in the sea or like something else out there that's, you know, looking down on you, regardless of that, can't dis discount the work you've already done and the, the, you know, the great things that you've already accomplished. So I'm happy to see that you guys have already done so well. And I'm, I've actually got my first, uh, my first order placed for, uh, to try some of you guys. Yep. So I'm, I'm sold. Yeah, there you go. 
Well, we should there. be in. Uh, what town are you in down there? I'm in Dallas. Yeah, Dallas, we should. Be, you should be able to find it in Goody Goody or a few other uh, independent locations down there. Okay, Goody Goody's right down the road. I I was doing some research this weekend on you guys, and uh, I had my cart full for my first order, so I got uh, got a, got a oh, restock. Okay. Great. I thought you said you ordered it from us. I'm like, oh no, buy it down there. Cool. No, that's what I'm going through. Uh, I guess take it back a little bit now. So we've talked a lot about the brand. We've talked a lot about the actual business side of things. Let's go a little bit more on you guys and a little bit more of the story for you guys, because that's kind of like, like I said, I like to bring it down to earth a little bit for the podcast and those listening. I'm going to ask a question here. Feel free, both of you to answer, but just kind of what's the the motivation that you have? What gets you out of bed every morning, essentially? For, for me, uh, it's, it is that, that challenge. Uh, you know, I think it starts with one, it's got my name on it and, uh, to see the product itself, um, and what that's become, uh, is really, I'm, I'm humbled and proud of it, I guess. Uh, now that we do have 50 people here, I, you know, a lot's riding on me getting up and out of bed. So I, I take that very seriously and very personally that, uh, that, that keeps the fire in my belly, but also I like being the small guy, the under underdog a little bit. Uh, I like to see those big guys out in front of us and how big a war chest they have and all the resources and all the tchotchke shit, you know, to the end of the world and us, you know, we're, we have to be scrappy and we have to pick our battles very wisely and those are the, the challenges that I, I look forward to and, you know, still see all the opportunity out there that we have to grow and continue growing for several years. Yep. I would, uh, I could echo a lot of that. I definitely appreciate the like chip on our collective shoulder um, with the whole, oh, you guys are never going to make it early on or, you know, uh, yeah, good luck getting wherever you think you're going to go. So there's definitely that, but for me, uh, you know, uh, I'm, it's been uh, a good motivation for me to like create a good place of work for all the people on our team. We have gotten a really good staff here and, uh, we're trying really hard to make sure we have like a good work life environment, uh, that we're putting up here because it was easy to do 80 and 90 hour weeks and just grind, grind, grind early on to get things going. Um, but we feel like we're at a point where, I enjoy when I can bust out early on a Friday afternoon in the summer and take the weekend off and not have to worry about anything. So now my motivation is to get up and, uh, you know, hit it hard Monday morning first thing so that everybody can have the weekends off, you know, or whatever your requisite schedule is that you get that off time and you can check out and we're making a, uh, a brand and a company that uh, can provide that for more people because, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess I feel like, I want to feel like we did the hard part so that now people can get on board, jump in, take their role and make it even better, but not have to die trying, so to speak. Yeah. I would say building the culture of the company is, has been an unexpected uh, bonus for me. And it's been equal parts challenging and equal parts rewarding. Um, that I, I, never, I didn't expect that that would be an actual fun part of 
being the top two guys. Well, yeah, they don't. I, I took entrepreneurship in school and they teach you how to write a business plan and executive summaries and crunch all the numbers. They don't teach you to have your culture prepared. Like and I took a boot in the ass in the Marine Corps and told to hurry the fuck up and get it done. <laughs> So that was the only culture I knew coming into here. So it wasn't the greatest for civilians to come into that kind of uh, thing. So I, it really has been, uh, again, challenging and rewarding to see the shift and to see it on every, and people's face, that they enjoy coming to work and being a part of the team. You guys sure have quite the uh, diverse culture right there between you two. And I, I'm, Interested to see how that kind of mesh to build what you guys have now. I guess I was gonna I was gonna follow up there initially and say, you know, can you describe that culture for me a little more? But it sounds like you just did in, in a few words there with Nick's experience with the actual business portion of it, and then you with your Marine Corps esque mindset bringing it into the business. And so, uh, is there anything that you've noticed? I guess that was challenging about trying to merge those two culture dynamics. I'm sure it wasn't the easiest little transition, but was there any, uh, I guess, notable stories or notable struggles that y'all experienced? Uh, I mean, the one thing I think Travis touched on it, but I'll reiterate it because we've had a few other veterans join is the difference between uh, managing in a military environment versus managing civilians. I had to be like the, the realist or whatever you want to call it, the reality check occasionally where I'm like, listen, we can't we can't talk to each other like that here. That's not going to fly. Like someone will cry, you know, or something, or you can get in trouble for saying that now because you're not, in, it's not a protected environment, whatever. Um, so there's that, but no, I would say the the challenge for me was uh, two of our core values is disciplined and spirited. And it's hard to like, make sure that it's still a fun place to work while you're still trying to, ask everyone to stay very disciplined and hold each other accountable. So it was, that was the biggest challenge for me was, uh, and I'm not naturally like a, a, a dictator, author, whatever that is, uh, authoritative type. Uh, so that was, that was the biggest challenge for me was to like, I was good at making it a good place to work and a, at being a fun boss. I wasn't great at being a strict boss. So marrying those two things together was tough for me. I think, on top, before even that, I think the shift from the mom and pop to the scalable, where we've made a very conscious decision of things are going to change. And if you don't like it, now is the time to leave. And we had kind of an exodus of about half the company uh, within the first six months of making this shift to a more formalized uh business environment business really. environment really you know to where everybody wasn't doing a little bit of everything but it was to, you know focus and stay in your lane and hard numbers and data driven and processes and those are what really it, it was very hard to get the buy-in but when it happened immediate difference and then we did have the right people in the right seats who got it and wanted it and you know it, it just that's where the culture started happening it was after the shift and several months of like, oh, these two guys are not changing. Like this is the new normal now of how everybody's getting graded top to bottom, including us, uh, for accountability wise. And that that just was an immediate shift, but that made it easier 
do I think take off on Fridays because we have the right people that we trusted that can take care of the whatever other issues were that day or that week uh, so that Nick wasn't stacking cases at a liquor store, you know, or I wasn't doing a tasting on a Friday afternoon. I, we could both go home and eat with our families because we'd already put in our 60 hours that week. Right. Well, that kind of speaks to exactly what you were talking about earlier with it sounds counterintuitive at first, but sometimes you have to cut off the rotten apples to actually see some growth there for, you know, paraphrasing your earlier statement about how, you know, you initially thought that it would take more and more people to grow and grow and grow. But sometimes if those aren't the best people, let them leave and you'll end up seeing that growth regardless. But it's scary. It's, yeah. That's a very scary thing to do to let go of people that have been here for years and, you know, it's, you know, it's scary to, for them to jump and do something else. And it's also scary for us to say, you might not be the right person for this, this company. No, absolutely. And that's actually a perfect tie in to my next question was, you know, again, with a little more of a, I guess, deep question is a way to put it, but, but what scares you the most, you know, as a, as a kind of counter from what motivates you the most, what scares you the most, either of you guys or both you guys feel free to, to share. For me now, I would say it is um, not being a good one. Uh, you know, I've got two little girls, and I, I guess I think about them a lot now as far as how they will look at their dad in all things that I do. Like, would, the, would Veda and Franny be proud of their dad if he talked to somebody this way or handled the situation this way? I guess for me, it's that more of – Am I, am I handling myself in a way that my daughter would be proud of me yeah. is the scary thing, I guess, that I don't want to be ever thought of as somebody they wouldn't want to work for or be around, honestly. Yeah. Mine's not far off. I have a daughter who's a little bit older, but it's, uh, you know, I, my fear is that if I do this for another 10 or 15, 20 years or whatever, that uh, I'm not going to build something that she would be proud to tell people about later. So uh, it is alcohol. Uh, and that doesn't, you know, fall on anyone's deaf ears. So I want to make sure that there is some good resulting from it. And we're not just getting people hammered along the way. So that's, uh, I take that seriously. And we want to make sure that, you know, there's some, uh, that there's responsibility and, uh, you know, uh, giving back along the way. And that we're taking care of our people. And it's not just a profitable endeavor, you know, to buy a bigger boat or whatever. Um, so that's one. And then, Smaller fear, but just business sense is just uh, not, uh, you know, is just uh, having to slow down because we weren't ready. And, you know, we have some ambitious plans and goals, and I want to make sure that uh, I feel like the, the, the strategy and the plan lies a lot on us being ready and not being ready for it is the other thing that uh, I feel like keeps me up at night with the team. With those goals that you mentioned, maybe take us through for the upcoming year, I guess, what are you, what are your goals for 2022 as far as both the business and personally for you guys? And then, you know, maybe look a little broader 10 years down the line. What's the big picture goal for y'all? Yeah. Uh, so my goal for 2022 is for COVID to go away and never come back again. <laughs> that would make everything a lot easier. <laughs> Uh, but no, seriously, uh, it's about, I think on our on-premise business, we want about a 25% growth goal across the three tasting rooms and events. 
Um, that's still not quite back to where it was what we call pre-COVID these days. I don't know if it'll, how long, if ever, it'll get back to that. And then on the distribution side of the business, uh, we're in essence trying to grow. We went in 50,000 cases, which is 25,000 nine liters this year, uh, which is about 60% growth probably for us. So it's actually taken a little bit of a step up from last year. Um, so that's a big one, but we have a lot of cool stuff coming and uh, the team is dug in and uh, with there's less turnover than we've ever had, uh, which is awesome. So I feel like a lot of that change dust has settled uh, and we're, we're we refined last year's plan and recreating it again. So uh, those are our short term goals. Um, grow revenue, spend the same, make money get the brand into four new markets this year um, and find somewhere to build our over the rainbow destination distillery home in Indianapolis. Yeah. That's the, for me, the longer, I guess, you know, three to five to 10 years is uh, consolidate our operations, our tasting room and really have an experiential destination distillery in downtown Indianapolis. Well, I can't wait to visit. I've never been to Indianapolis, but uh, I definitely oh, make a trip for that. <laughs> yeah. Paris of the Midwest, bro. Come on. Well, I, that's what I've heard. Yeah, I'm excited. When I come down, I'll have to uh, have to come check you guys out and get a little tasting. Um, yeah, love to have you. But as far as I guess you guys have been so successful in a lot of people's eyes, you know, like y'all have done so much. You should be very proud of yourselves, obviously. But for a lot of people, there's that hesitation to branch out and pursue that passion, start that business, run that marathon, join that company, whatever it may be. What is some advice you'd have for someone in those, in those shoes? You know, someone kind of hesitant to take a, the next step towards their goals as you guys obviously did with, you know, creating the company and building this brand, you know, looking back, what's some advice you can give to someone else? Sometimes you got to be a doer and not a thinker. Uh, I think that a lot of people and myself, including, I get stumbled up by overthinking things too much when sometimes it's, you know, sometimes you just got to say, fuck it and go forward and take that first step, whatever it is, and just do it and learn from that. I mean, there's a lot of learning that happens within this and that you don't, we don't always do things the right way the first time, but it's the aha moments within the, the mess ups, I guess that we we've gotten better along the way. And it's, again, the success didn't happen overnight. And I don't think it's going to happen over the next night either. It's, it's over several, several. And, you know, for every success, there's probably five or 10 missteps that happen to get to that success. Yeah. I love this question. Cause uh, I was that like wanted to start a business, but didn't know what kind of a thing. And for me, it is the same. It's an 80%. The plan is going to change anyways. So if your plan's 80% of the way and you do it, that's better than trying to wait till you have it 100% buttoned up because it ain't going to matter anyways once the, everything starts. So I always tell people basically the same thing you said, just do something, take the first step. So like if you want to start a clothing company, then go buy 10 shirts and go pay someone to screen press them and sell them. You know what I mean? And just take that first step. Or if you don't know how to get started, then go find someone who's in that business and ask if you can shadow them for a day. But like, just do the first step because the second one will get easier and it'll open doors and the network will be built. Um, but 
yeah, you just have to, you just have to jump and you'll figure it out if you have faith in yourself or whoever you're jumping in with. Yeah. I honestly, I love that answer from both of you guys because obviously I'm not near on the successful scale as you guys, but I've noticed that just in my own life, whatever it has been that I accomplished, whether it be getting into the college I wanted to go to, getting into the program, getting whatever degree or licensure, getting whatever job, getting whatever, you know, starting the blog, starting the podcast, whatever it was for me. Obviously, they're a lot lower scale than running y'all's, you know, major business, but it was never this thing I had written out and planned detail by detail. Like I'm going to do this. And then once I accomplish this, I'm going to go into this and I'm, here's how I'm going to do it. It was more so of every day. I just did things that were pushing me in the right direction. And eventually I got there and it was just like, Oh, you know, five years later, a year later, whatever, maybe look up and you're like, wow, it's crazy to see how far I came just from little things building up over time. And I've actually kind of talked about it on another episode, but that's one of the things that I've noticed that, I guess action is better than anything Uh, going in a direction or going in the right direction, I guess is more important than the speed with which you're going in that direction. And so that's been a big uh, point in my life and like a big learning experience for me and to hear y'all kind of offer very similar, if not the same advice, it uh, shows me that I'm doing something right (laughs) at least, but yeah. And one of the other things that I talk about with our sales team, uh, because you know, we were, Again, underdog. So you're trying to talk to a multi-million dollar wholesaler and gain their share of attention. And sometimes it can be intimidating, or at least it was early on, is it was always our motto was just hit send. So like instead of waffling about this phone call or trying to go through it in your head a hundred times, I would be like, nope, just just type the number in or hit the name and hit send and you'll figure it out when they answer. So because uh, other words, you could sit and drive yourself crazy mimicking how you think it's going to go for four hours and then it probably is not exactly how it's going to go anyways so just yep. it was my thing with the team 100 percent, i like that you'll have some good little sound bites there with just hit sin and be a doer not a thinker i like those those are very good well, i don't even know if by. it's 10 anymore now now it's just hit green or whatever yeah. i don't even know how you call people <laughs> who knows at this point just ask siri yes <laughs> Uh, but okay, I don't want to take too much else time, but I got a couple quick little questions here at the end. I want to follow up with you guys on, but you know, y'all talked about y'all individually kind of what brought you into starting the business, how the business itself runs, what you guys do. Um, you've even offered some advice for those who may be hesitant to reach out and take that next step on their passion. But, uh, a little bit more of a fun note here. What is the go-to mixed drink? What's the go-to cocktail for you guys after one of those 60 or 80 hour weeks, you sit down on a Friday afternoon and you mix yourself up one of these. What are you making? Uh, For me, it's going to be a gin Bravo. So it's our gin, blackberry and basil and a little lime juice. Uh, Very refreshing and delicious. Yeah. So not going to lie. Typically I drink beer, but if I'm going cocktails at Hotel Tango, uh, I love our gin as well. Gin Gimlet. And I hate it because we're supposed to be talking about bourbon. It's our flagship, but a gin Gimlet is a classic cocktail. It's lime, sugar, and gin, and it's money. That's what I was drinking when I wasn't supposed to be drinking behind the bar. And then, uh, but other than that, it's, uh, bourbon on the rocks with a little splash of cherry juice. Nice. Okay. 
Yeah. Kind of like a poor man's old fashioned. Basically, I just <laughs> pour bourbon on ice and add a little Luxardo cherry and I'm good to go. I got you. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to uh, venture out in my uh, taste of bourbon. My mom's a big wine drinker. So I know a little more about wine than I do anything else. And uh, I've started as I've gotten older and I've had a little more money with a real job and everything. I've started to explore my bourbon taste a little more and uh, I'm learning a little bit here and there. I'm learning a little bit here and there, but I'm definitely going to give these gins, uh, Jim Bravo and gin gimblets a try. So uh, I'll have to order some gin. I didn't, I didn't pick up any when I went to get some the other day, but I'll, uh, I'll make sure I'll, that'll be the next thing on my list from you guys. Cool. And as far as kind of in closing, if you wanted the listeners here to know anything about Hotel Tango, whether that be, I'll mention, you know, how to, how to get in touch and how to uh, find you guys on social media and how to order and uh, how to find the products. But as far as about the company, about the brand, about anything you've spoken about today, about yourselves, um, I guess just last words you'd like to share with those people. Uh, you know, I'd just say we're Hotel Tango, distilled with discipline. That's really what sets us apart as our processes, our procedures, the way that uh, you know, we follow the same recipe every single time, the same way. Uh, and I think that that uh, consistency is what helps deliver the quality of our product. Uh, and again, that ties back to the, our military roots and uh, all, you know, coming back to that discipline again. That's a big part of, I think, why, we, why we're here today. Yep. And then all I would say is uh, we're, we're in more places than you would expect so that's one thing I hear often, especially locally, is I didn't know you were in all these states. So um, please uh, check it out. See if we're in anything close to you. And if we're not, uh, you can ask your favorite local retailer to bring it in because it always helps when you go into a place and they're like, oh, yeah, I already heard about you guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, Hotel Tango, I love working here. I love the brand. Um, and then the other cool thing is uh, we try to give back along the way. So we got some cool initiatives coming out this year with the American Legion uh, and Modern Military Association. And then we have a hot new item dropping in the second quarter. It's our first new release in many two years. Um, and we're, ending, we're entering the hot growing flavored whiskey category with one of the first flavored bourbons on the market. So stand by, look for that coming to stores near you. All right. Well, I'll be excited to try it. Um... But yeah, thank I'll you guys back with some gin and a schmallow in it. <laughs> there we go. Um, well, thank you guys. Honestly, it's been really fun getting to talk to you guys. I know it was a, uh, a good interview. It was a quick interview and I'm really thankful for getting the time from you guys. Y'all are doing incredible things over there. And uh, next time we talk, we'll dive deeper into, you know, some more about those initiatives that you guys are getting started, the new flavors you guys are having out and hopefully uh, we'll get together another time and, I'll try some new flavors and uh, we'll talk about all the growth y'all have experienced in the, in the time that's passed, but guys that are listening, please give hotel tango a follow on social media at hotel tango distillery, visit their website, hotel tango distillery.com to learn about how you can purchase their products. And you can go to the spirits finder on their website to find a local retail location near you. As always, don't forget to follow the podcast at up to the mic underscore pod on all social platforms and at www.vinnyhale.com. I really appreciate all that you guys do and all that you guys were able to uh, to share here on the on the podcast. Thank you guys again. It's been great. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yo, yo, I'm like an addict. Ooh, I gotta have it. I ain't even playing. Got a really bad habit.